COVID-19 safety measures were strictly adhered to at all times during this production. Welcome to our new podcast, The Anku. I'm Yanling. And I'm Sean. And usually on our usual freelance creative exchange podcast, we talk to professionals about how to supercharge their freelance careers. But after speaking to so many people, we were thinking, how did they get so cool? I mean, in order to achieve their successes and fame, they must have been pretty uncool at a certain point. No matter what kind of successes they have, we get our guests to dish out all the awkward moments that led them to where they are now. Some are even putting the cool in uncool jobs. So let's go talk to the uncools. It has been almost 15 years since Hansel left Singapore to be an actor in US. So let's find out more about how he became so cool. You were directed by Morgan Freeman or something? <laughs> what, what? I don't know any actor in the, who says I've been directed by Morgan Freeman. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Fine, fine. I'll tell you the story. This was my first TV gig. So it's Madam Secretary and he's one of the producers on it. And we were, the sequence that we shot, we were opening uh, a new, uh, new the first episode of a new season. Francis Zhu, um, who uh, is a legend in our community. Um, he has seen it all, he has done it all. Um, he is a fantastic actor. He is basically like God. Um, we all look up to him, everybody looks up to him. And so um, he turned out to be the minister of China and I was his aide. And um, the opening <laughs> shot, yeah, I know, right? This minister industry is a small China. industry. <laughs> China, <laughs> ministry of China. <laughs> One of the prime ministers from China, or, or uh, uh, you know, um, a diplomat. Yeah. And uh, I play his aide, teaching him how to play golf in, in very bad Singapore Mandarin. AC boy, don't know how to talk to Chinese. Literally had to go to my friend who is like in Mandarin. He was like, please record yourself saying this. So I record, record, rehearse, Okay, I'll say this. And it's a tracking shot. Tracking shot meaning that you walk and then the camera tracks you wherever you go. And they had booked the entire like a golf course in the Bronx. And it was the opening scene was me and him. Talking, 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 talking. We all cross. We uh, walk in uh, through the golf course, and the camera tracks, and we pull up on the green in in the road, and then um, several jeeps pull up, and then the the um, prime minister, one of the prime ministers, jumps out, and then takes does a scene, and the camera rotates to see him there. So it's a long track shot, quite complicated, and, and you know there were like hundred extras there that day, kind of thing. We were there. Uh, there were four um, principal actors that day. It was the the. Uh, Francis, myself, a reporter who had a couple lines, and the minister, uh, the American minister, who then jumps out of the jeep. So we have the four chairs sitting there, and uh, they're like, "Okay, um, Sir Morg is here." I'm like, "Who?" <laughs> and then, I, th there's no other way to say this, but God walks out. There's like slow motion, and he he's like this this figure of God comes walking towards you, and the closer he gets, the you realize oh he actually is God because that guy is like six foot something, and then you're just standing there and you're looking at him, and he goes, "Good morning, thank you for being here," and he goes down the line, and asks our name and he shakes our hands like, "What's your name?" Hi, thank you for being here. What's your name? Hi, thank you for being here. Hansel. Hi. Thank you for being here. And I'm like, I will never wash my hand again. I will never. And then it gets better. It gets better. And then they were doing the rehearsal shot where we were just rehearsing with the camera. And it's like, Sir Morg, Sir Morg, that's what everyone else calls him, Sir Morg. Sir Morg isn't there for the rehearsal. He sits down at a table and does a New York Times crossword puzzle <laughs> that gets handed to him by a PA. <laughs> it's like, and then 
we start shooting. He disappears to Video Village, which is uh, in the in the actual club, uh, and then we're on the putting green. And then we're shooting, we're shooting, we're shooting, and then all of a sudden I hear, cut! And we stop, and then I just hear like two feet bounding on the green, boom, 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 boom. And I see Morgan Freeman running as fast as the wind towards us, and he's yelling out, Hansel, where's Hansel? I need to talk to Hansel. And this is like another, I will never work again. I will never work again. I don't know what I did. The voice of God is yelling my name and he's about to smite me with this, this lightning and I'm about to be turned into a pile of ash and blown away by the wind. And he comes up to me and he's like, Hansel. And I go like, yes, God. And he's like, Hansel, a little quieter in the first half. You want to be a secret? I was like, okay. And he's like, dunk, dunk, dunk. He runs back and with fear and wonder and, and the shoot goes well and it's oh. an hour later they get the shot and they release us and I go home but that that is my Morgan Freeman story you've yes. been in US as an actor for the past 15 years how cool is that and how did you get so cool <laughs> I want to get something right I am probably the most uncool person you know like I'm like in shorts and t-shirt and I have this shirt that says unapologetically Asian that's, here that's the coolest outfit that's, it's so uncool but very important support um, uh, persistence absolutely just persistence 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 um, I think the thing for me was that I, I, I had a little bit of that that um, that bravado like I am God's gift to the world I can do anything which is it's just great which it helps you in the first couple of years and then you just like pow, pow, you get slapped down by the industry and then you like you get your own reawakening you find yourself again and you got to do it again but it's truly persistence persistence and persistence and a pursuit of excellence and even though I started out with a passion you know for performance and and the very different kinds of forms that it takes um, I think uh, purpose has started to really replace passion as a, a core goal of mine um, and uh, and especially you know passion for telling uh, a diverse amount of stories, uh, passion for telling the stories of my people, uh, this passion for t uh, for telling the stories of Asian Americans specifically in America. Um, you mean purpose? Where come from. The, the purpose. The purpose. The purpose. Yeah, okay. doing the purpose. So mm -hmm. persistence and um, not taking no for an answer, just going at it. But you're looking at yourself from a, a different lens in the sense that I mean, yeah. You are minority in the US, mm -hmm. and then you are minority's minority because you are from Singapore going to the US. Do you f right. do you think that 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 adds on to your to your challenge trying to get into the industry? There, absolutely. You know, it, it's really such an interesting thing that you're, you're talking about, which is the the minority of a minority. And I I think I kind of want to like take that question and turn it on its head a little bit. Um, it to me, it's almost as if you are putting on a different identity when you step into the stage. It's almost like walking through a portal, right? It's like, oh, um, what was that? Did anyone see, what's that, what's that? Um, um, Marvel, uh, WandaVision. It's like when you, uh, you, yeah. you cross through that portal and it's like, ah, oh, I'm a different person, I'm in a different country. That's kind of like what it is because you are understood through a different country's trajectory of history and burdens. And so it's almost as if, you, like it or not, you, you are given a new persona and uh, you're understood differently. And so understanding how you're being seen and then responding to that in an authentic way, whether it is, yes, I'm going to be that person that you see, or no, I understand the way you're seeing me. And in spite of that, or with that, or with an understanding of that, um, I, will, I will operate hmm. kind of thing. So which one do you operate? Um, it used to, it truly, the, the very fact that I sort of have an American accent right now, a persona, I have an American persona, right? 
it's okay, I can still talk Singapore. But um, I think for the first couple of years, I I literally go to France right now and I try to say Singlish and they laugh at me. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. I have to code switch. But but, but the point is, the point is, uh, the first two years, I I, um, decided to learn the American accent because I kid you not, like the first year of college, I was in school and I had my Singaporean accent. I was trying to be hurt. I was trying to be understood in class. And then this boy came up to me, the student, he was like, that's a great accent. You from Ireland? I'm like, say like Ireland. And so, and and people couldn't understand me. So it's like, okay, fine, fine, fine. Just to be good to you guys, you guys, I will like learn the American accent. Um, and so, in some ways, it was to be understood and to to be sort of like um, to 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 uh, dissolve in the optic of what they understood and a possible Asian American could be. But now, um, looking back and sort of mo- having moved in the industry. Um, there is so much richness to my experience as a Singaporean. There's so much richness to my experience as an individual. There's so much areas of my life that that are untranslated as of yet into into um, the American sphere. That I think it's my duty as an actor, as as an interpreter, as an expressor, right, yeah. of craft to 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 honor that and to sit in that for a moment and to let that find expression. Um, I've been really lucky to get to do a lot more Asian American work today. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to reference an amazing um, uh, musical by this fantastic American composer called Timothy Huang. Uh, he's Taiwanese of descent, but he was born in America, and he's uh, been on the forefront of new musical theater. And he wrote this piece called um, uh, American Morning, uh, which won the Richard Rogers Award back in the day. Um, and we got to do that. It was about two Chinese cab drivers, based on a real New York Times article. Two Chinese cab drivers who sort of um, take uh, opposite shifts of a cab. One takes the day shift, one takes the night shift, and their lives s- split, literally. Um, their lives go in vastly different directions, and one becomes wildly successful, the other one doesn't for no other reason than luck. And so, you know, it's a story about the American dream and sort of like the the, 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 the the myths that we sort of play out and the dreams that we play out in pursuit of our lives, and yet the kind of fate that beholds us through nothing more than destiny. Um, and so I, I, I definitely found that in working on the characters, I was able to truly pull from a lot of my own insecurities and from like my own experiences and translate that for the specific piece. Um, and I was really afraid it, it wouldn't translate. It, you know, white audiences, because you know, in America, would come to see this. The, the white audiences who we really needed to come see this would see this and be like, oh, I don't understand that, but I was wrong. You know, the people would come up to me after the show with tears in their eyes being like, I understand that. I understood that, um, which which I think really speaks to the tenacity of the human experience. And I hate this word, universality, uh, but but there there is there is universality in our capacity to listen and to to empathize, mm. and and it's so special to be able to do that in a space with other people too. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have felt the same thing, but it's that was definitely my experience. You you mentioned that you your purpose right now is to represent more or less you know whichever uh, the causes that you're pushing for mm-hmm. and do you think you'll push that Singaporean identity into the larger like international scene do you think that will be one of your purposes or is one of your purposes Wow that's <laughs> question man uh, you can take the boy out of Singapore but you can't take <laughs> Singapore out of the boy I think. As Singaporeans, we have such an interesting relationship to local culture. There's like the other side of us is like, oh my god, I hate this place. I can't see it. <laughs> but I mean, there there is real yeah, um, yeah. Or, uh, uh, there's a real struggle with that. And I I think I I definitely felt the struggle with that. 
Um, recently, and I'm going to get back to your point. Recently, I've been really deconstructing my own colonial mindset where that came from. I think one of the things that drew me to America was that, oh, I thought that was where the best art in the world was being created, mm -hmm. but really it was where a very white kind of art was being created. And I'm, I'm you know, having been through that process, um, I start to then strip my mind of, of my own intentions, be like, how was I watching theater? How was I seeing art? Through whose eyes was I trying to see art? Who's, for whom was I, for who was I trying to create art for? For who was I speaking to? And I think, you know, uh, the more I think about this, the more I realize that there was a period in my life where I was really trying to create work for a specifically white gaze. You know, it's like, I will come here and I will put on a certain kind of English in order to be heard and understood. And you will see me as a specific character that you understand because I have power. Because the white man has a certain power in the way he speaks. And, and um, I, I think, uh, you know, the local scene has to deal with a lot of that post-colonial sort of mindset. And, and we're dealing with it. And yet there's so many amazing local companies that are, that are dismantling that. All these other theater companies that are really um, grooming homegrown works and homegrown talent um, that speak directly to Singaporeans. And, you know, um, even starting out here in, in Singapore, when the companies first started doing local playwrights, I... I, I I could be wrong, but it was almost as if the audience were a little bit shocked. I think now it was just a moment of um, uh, uh, shocked recognition that an audience has never seen before. It's like, oh, I've never quite seen my reflection like this before. And there's a queasy moment it's like, oh, I, I have to deal with that, that moment of recognition. And to, 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 to bring it back to the States, uh, Singap Singapore will always be a part of me in the sense that I am an immigrant and I have an immigrant story. Um, I would also say that you can't live in a place for 15 years and not have it change you. I am now partially banana. <laughs> um, in a way, in, in the sense that I have now um, adopted some of the, uh, the concerns of my community, um, the people around me. But we, we only, like our, our boundaries of self only come to, um, are, are only um, made uh, visible when we have an other person there. And so uh, myself is, is, is given form by the people around me, locally, like you guys, uh, and also like in America, uh, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to, to acknowledge that, that. And it's so crazy now because then we have these really diverse sets of communities that are not just um, separated by race or religion or language, but also by, you know, separated by space and time, like, you know, America is like, what? <laughs> it could be further away from Singapore if you try. How has this changed for you over the years though? I mean, you've, you've been through different, I guess, uh, administrations, if you want to put it that way. Um, <laughs> you've been through three. I mean, you've been 44, 45, and now 46. I mean, you're 15 years. America's <laughs> up, man. It's, uh, it's, it's so screwed up because, because I think more and more we have the platform to talk at each other, but not with each other, mm. talk not to each other. Everyone wants to be heard. Hear me, 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 me. Where we really forget, like there's a social contract that together we're gonna figure this out. And people have stopped wanting to hear about them together. Everybody wants to, to be right. And it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It just matters that someone else says, oh yeah, you're right. Oh, that makes you feel good kind of thing. You know, oh, dopamine, oh, amazing. Initially, I think when I first came to the States, it was like, oh, you know, I'm a Singaporean. I have the ability to extricate myself and run back to Singapore at any one time. Mm -hmm. um, and then slowly that changed in the sense that, no, these are real people around me with real problems. And this is, if, if I'm going to participate in this community, mm -hmm. 
I have to participate in this community. I'm not just going to go and like, you know, take the jobs and do the work. I actually have to sit down and do the real work of engaging with the community around me because then it doesn't become just another commercial project. I think this is the great reawakening of American theater in, in, some, in some sense, that um, we are fractured, we're broken, but we're together, we're gonna try to, to, to talk to each other mm -hmm. in a space. Even though we're broken apart with the pandemic, which kind of sucks. How has, how has this affected you? you? You only intended to come back here for just a short period of time. Oh my God, yeah. But how long have you been back? Um, I've been, it's gonna be six months soon. Five months now, I've got another month to go. It's gonna be six months. I'm gonna fly back to the States. I will, I have to, because my green card. Um, but um, it's, it's gonna be six months. And this is the longest I've ever been back in, this, in, in Singapore for many, many years. And I think uh, this will be uh, the first time in nine years I get to perform in Singapore, which is kind of crazy. I still feel very connected to the community. How can you not, right? Well, you still are connected in spirit and soul to the people you 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 Meet went through stuff with in Singapore, even in years. Singapore. Uh -huh. So I, I still feel very connected to the, the issues that are happening in the United States. Um, I still feel um, very tethered to the politics of the United States mm -hmm. uh, because they are now my politics too. Yeah, because I'm participating. It truly is, you know, um, a wake up call for many people to to understand that. Democracy is such a fragile thing. I came back and the first thought in Singapore was like, wow, this is really such a sheltered nation. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like coming back like paradise. People are walking around with masks, you know, have raising families, like everything is so pristine. But, but we forget that it's, it's, it's truly fragile. Anything, you know, and I'm, I'm props to the Singapore government for like taking active steps to try and um, deal with COVID because, you know, in the States <laughs> where federal government was fighting with state government, like nothing got done, nothing got done. And we were just left in our own devices to like panic and yeah. panic we did, panic we did. Um, but I think that's where you also see the resilience of the human spirit. Like everyone else stepped up to be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have Zoom parties. You know, we're gonna check in on each other. And it was a really um, uh, uh, the time for individual local communities to step up and provide for each other and care for each other. But that's also where you saw the fractures where people didn't who uh, where we saw people um, uh, try to justify who should be in the community and who shouldn't. So. You know, it's always an ongoing question there. So how old are you when you first uh, went to the US? I was 21. So, so what, what I thought was cool is you were a scholar. You would, you were, you know, the, the, that's like the ultimate Singapore dream, isn't it? I get, I get a scholar, I get a bond, and then I, I'm, I'm set till I'm at 35. Nothing wrong <laughs> but, with the bond. Nothing but, wrong with but, the bond. And so, so, and then, but then you turned it down and I think, you, you know, you went to the US and you, became an actor of all things, I guess. So your, your parents must have something to say about that. I had, a, I had a scholarship from the MOE to to go and do music and literature to become a renaissance man, colonial mindset, mm -hmm. um, to come back and teach. Uh, and then um, uh, through uh, a long, complicated process, uh, essentially um, the, the application process got screwed up and I was left without a university. Uh, my first year of college and I basically went back to Emily saying like, you know what? It's okay guys keep your money I'm gonna do this my way 
Um, and then I uh, applied for all the US colleges I could think of. Blindly, it's like, I don't know, Yale, please take me, Harvard, please take me, I don't know, whatever is good. So, you know, my dreams of an, uh, an English education in, in the UK were, was shattered. And um, this amazing college called Wesleyan University that I've never heard of, but was recommended because one of my um, uh, junior college uh, seniors had gone there and loved it. Um, they wrote back saying, you got a week to send in your materials. So I sent in my materials and then a week later, they FedExed like a handwritten note saying, welcome to Wes. Wow. So it literally was on good faith, not knowing what was gonna happen, that the first time I saw the place I was going to spend the next four years of my life at was on the first day of freshman orientation oh in Connecticut at Wesleyan University uh, and it was raining. It was like, a, it was a torrential downpour. And I was like, welcome to the rest of your life. <laughs> or at least the next four years of your life. That must um, have felt like a doomsday. Like, you know, when you was, start the movie and it's... Yeah, yeah. you know, you have these moments where you're like, what's going on? What, what, have, you, what have you gotten yourself into so now? What is Connecticut like then? Connecticut is... Green pastures and cows and salt shaker houses and rows that lead on and on for hours and sunshine and snow and it's idyllic and it's a great place if you want to just hide from the world and like study. Um, it was super. I loved it. I love it. Um, Wesleyan is a very, very, very far left leaning campus, um, and so I was immediately put in uh, in the in the um, how else should I say this in the hippie dorm. It was just the, the biggest culture shock, but now there's there's a soft spot in my heart for those hippies. <laughs> love them. I love them. And then from Connecticut, you moved to New York. And yeah, that's a story to that. So um, the last week of my uh, education in Connecticut, I told my I, I told my parents like you know um, I probably I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. I might come back to Singapore. I might look for work. So what you do is you get an, what's called the OPT, a, a year's work visa to work in the states. Oh okay. As okay. Um, you know um, policy for completing your education, but that's it. It's a, a year's work visa. Um, and so in that week before graduating, before we were gonna get kicked out on campus, I asked some friends, hey, you know, want to go to New York? And they're like. Okay, so we like took a train down to New York, looked for apartments. We found this three bedroom in Brooklyn Bushwick. This is like when it was still like a majority Hispanic neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And we were like, well, do you wanna move in? It's like, okay, we'll move in. So we moved there and like in the last week of a uh, um, college life and the, we had no plan, zero. We had no idea, what we, all we knew is we had this like year to, to make things work. And then one year turned to two, turned to three, turned to Ten, um, and uh, I believe this fall I'll be celebrating my ten years, or eleven years actually, in in New York. Wow. So crazy. Wow. Uh, so how do you survive eleven years in New York? Then I mean, you poorly, you consistently, <laughs> poorly. Man, that crazy bohemian life that you lived it. Like you know, um, uh, punk rock shows in a basement of someone's apartment at three a.m. in the morning with mm -hmm. Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. That's a life, right? Uh, living off slices of pizza in order to make enough money to pay rent, taking any odd job you can. Oh my, 
Um, I have uh, served tables. I have been. A, I was a bartender. Um, I catered uh, large events. Um, <laughs> I worked as a magician of all things in <laughs> Toys R Us Times Square, selling <laughs> magic kits to little kids as they came up the damn elevator with the big Tyrannosaurus Rex like <laughs> in the background. That was this dude. That was this dude. And it was just like a matter of like, you know what? You're just gonna make it work. You just didn't ask questions. You just made it work. Just trying to imagine though. If you sit to your mom and your dad and at that point that we I'm gonna hang out here and what, what, did, what, what did he say? They were like, okay, but in their minds they're probably like, it's a phase. It's a phase. Well, guys, it's a phase that took ten years. <laughs> so as an actor in between jobs, you're doing, you know, in Toys of Us, you were catering and so on, but mm. how do you but how, how, how does it actually work? Yeah, how do you get your first acting gig, basically? Um, basically, uh, went to New York with the classic, like, immigrant story, two suitcases and dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have a headshot. I didn't have a resume. <laughs> I had nothing. And I think, I think, like, later on, I got, like, a black and white headshot. Who the hell does that? Black and white, which is still, like, the standard in the UK. But all the casting directors were like, who's this dude with a black and white headshot? It's supposed to be colored. <laughs> and I got I got chewed out like in the in in the audition room. It's like why literally a casting director's like, why is this black and white? It should be colored. I'm like, I don't know. But they helped me get remembered. But the story I there was this there was this uh, publication called Backstage Magazine that was still in print, but now it's online and I, I lo you looked online to see like what opportunities were available to you. And I just didn't know how to do it. You know, you went on Playbill, you went on um, backstage, mm -hmm. and there are these listings for not for not non-union work, meaning just like, you know, a fresh green actor um, just coming out. Um, and so I just decided to, I started going to these auditions and going to these 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 open calls, which means anybody can come and audition, you know, they famously do this, these crazy open calls where they're like, thousands of people show up and wait in line to be seen as this classic New York story. And you get there at like 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning and there's like a sign-up list and there are already like 30 people ahead of you. And you go to the top of the line, you put your name down and you go to the back of the line and you just stand and wait until they open up the studios at 8 o'clock and then casting comes in at 9 o'clock and then they call you to go in, in line. And then someone goes, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry, we're really running out of time. Can everyone just come in with your best eight measures of song? Just eight measures and you're done. Thank you. So you go in there, you go like, da -da 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 -da, and like five seconds later, you're out of there. You just start there and you mess up and you, you do a horrible job and you'd be like, okay, that sucked. Let's try again. And you just do it again and again and again until something clicks. And then you get your first opportunity and at least your second opportunity and then your third and then your fourth and then you get your agent and then you get bigger shows and then you join the union and then you try film and TV and then you you, you start building your community from there. Um, and so I, I also recognize that I've been stupidly lucky. Truly, the, the, the journey is you find your collaborators. You find yeah. people who are like, oh, on the same wavelength and are willing to take risks with you and are willing to figure things out together. And you know, that, like that old Sondheim song, um, someone is in your side, someone else is not. Uh, it's true. You're like, not everyone's going to, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And mm -hmm. what, not, what everyone, not everyone is going to be your cup of tea. So you, you, you find your people, you find your collaborators. So just put yourself out there and then just see yeah, what catches. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, just, it's all the spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. See what sticks. So was there a moment then that you, you know, or a project that you did that you thought, okay, I've, after you've done this, you thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I'm, 
I can do this, I can stay yes! in this industry for so long. So, um, it's not really well known, but um, there is such thing called understudies. Uh, it's, you know, not a lot of, it's not very common in the local scene here. Um, and it not it isn't very common either um, on, in some regional uh, theaters in America, but it's um, it is it, it is it's a practice where you have for the principal roles in a show, you will have some of the ensemble cast double these tracks, learn them. So if anything happens to the main character, like the principal actor, like they fall sick or whatever, it's like you're on, kid, you know, kind of thing. You've seen like shows like that, and so they're called understudies, and uh, they're they're they typically never get to go on. So that must be annoying. <laughs> But that's like I mean, but they, but you have an ensemble track. You like you're in the chorus. You you already have your things you're playing, and then on top of that, they'll be like, oh, we'll give you like two hundred dollars more for the whole contract if you understudy this position. And you just do it in your homework. You you watch the actor. You you note their entrances, exits. You see what they're doing. You see where the light cues are. That's it. So, um, I had just turned equity. Uh, I was I had my union card, uh, and I went in for my first. Um, Asian show audition, which was happened to be uh, a little show called Miss Saigon, um, that was being produced um, at uh, one of the oldest uh, theaters in around in America, um, uh, North Shore Music Theater in um, Connecticut region, Beverly, Massachusetts, uh, and so I was cast um, in two ensemble parts. I was cast uh, as the assistant commissar and one other character which I'm totally blanking on right now. And then, um, in addition to that, the director was like, oh, uh, by the way, uh, understudy the engineer. Um, for those who don't know, the engineer is, the, it's a huge, huge part. He's, he's yeah. the driving force of the show. And this is like a 20, like five-year-old kid be like, oh my God, I get to understudy the engineer. And the engineer for that that uh, show is, uh, remember the man Francis Yu we all talked about? How it works is that this is, was on a course contract. Uh, it's a very specific contract, particular to that theater, where you have two weeks of rehearsal, like three days of tech with the lights and sound and everything, and boom, you're on! And the show runs for a week and a half and you're out, that's it! And it was like a thousand seater theater in the round. So we did our we did our rehearsals for this two weeks. I learned my track and everything. And then we got there, I wanna say on a month, we got to the theater on a Monday, we teched for two days, and then Wednesday, uh, Wednesday we previewed and then or no, Wednesday we opened. Wednesday we opened. You went and, in tech on Monday and you went open on Wednesday. Yeah, it's, it's, oh super, my it's, super, it's super fast. Yeah. Um, so everything's plotted out way before you get there. You just like slot you in, slot you in, slot you in, go. And so we, we opened on Wednesday. Thursday we had shows. And then Friday, Friday was our understudy rehearsal. Thursday night, I get a knock on my door. And it opens and there's Francis with a scarf wrapped around his neck. He's like, and he's like, Let's let's go through my entrance and exits. I'm like, okay, all right. So he sits me down and he goes through his entrances and exits, and I think, okay, at least I'll be prepared for understudy rehearsal on Friday. He goes he goes back to his uh, hotel room. I wake up at 9 a.m. with a call, and it's uh, the production manager, and she's like, so um, it's a Friday. Uh, Francis has thrush, a bacterial infection of the throat. He's called out tonight. You're on. See you in the theater in half an hour. And 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 at this time, by this time, I had maybe like looked through the score. I sort of had Act One in my head. Nothing of the rest. And it was. And then my best friend, who was playing Toy, calls me and goes. And literally, he's like, "Bitch, 
it's your turn. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And in my mind, I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? And literally, you get in the car, we drive to the theater, they throw me out of the car, and she's there waiting for me at the entrance, the producer, and she grabs my hand, and she's like, okay, costumes, run, 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 costumes, try this on, try this on, try this on, great, that works, go, next stage, stage. Music director's there, everyone's there. They work on music, work on entrances, work on cues, and then an hour later, the whole company turns up and is like, okay, now we're gonna put you in. They put me in, put me in, put me in for like a couple hours, and then they let us go, and I'm in my room, like memorizing the show furiously for our first Friday night show, uh, put-ins, and literally by that time, I had act one memorized, and I was like, I don't know this song, what can we do about it? And it's like, can you please like print the lyrics on the back of these cards for me? So in, in the song called Thailand, um, the engineer's handing out flyers to, to, to <laughs> ba Bangkok, uh, to, to um, people, in, and so they printed my lyrics in the back, I was like glancing, singing, glancing, singing, and we were in the round, so it's more confusing. And so I remember that Friday night, I get up there and this is the whole cast. And I grab um, the, the lady playing Kim's uh, hand and <laughs> the on track begins with a full orchestra. And I'm there in the vault grabbing hand and I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like push me, push me around. And this is saying, shove with love, which is like the understudy is not gonna know where they're going. You just like, <laughs> Shove them in the right direction. And it was, I, I was like, you know what? This is your chance to just do your thing. And I just went and gave it all. And at the end of it, when I opened my eyes and I was at the curtain call, I was like, I, I, the, the work we do is truly insane. It's, it's, it's nothing. I, I would it never in a hundred years imagine that I'd be doing this. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, if I can do this, I could do anything, but I don't want to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Francis came back for Saturday matinee, and he called out again on Saturday oh. evening. So I had to go back and do it again. Um, but that was that was truly a defining moment. Okay, <laughs> let's be real. Like Miss Saigon is a problematic show for its day and age, but it was exciting. And I, I have a little anecdote about when I would uh, actually go on. So there's a song. Um, American Dream. Yeah, <laughs> and there's big number. He is yeah. dreaming about his life in America. And then um, it's, remember how we talked about the circular stage? Yeah. And the stage is circular. Um, there's no way to tell one side from another, but on each four sides there are plinths, like little wooden blocks. Uh -huh. And people go on the blocks and have moments, and one of the blocks opens up, where, and there's like a tunnel where you can crawl underneath and whatnot. And so at the end of the song, The American Dream, like Francis slinks across the stage, he gets up on a plinth, and he goes, ha! And then there's a solo spotlight. And it's my moment. I get there. I slink across the stage. I go, pa, spotlight. And I'm in darkness. And it's empty plinth. The audience must have been confused. Like, what, what am I supposed to be seeing? <laughs> and besides uh, all your roles in uh, theater, you've also done some TV and film. And yes. you worked with, uh, you worked in a different uh platforms. What is it like though to work in uh, in TV and film in, in the US? It's very commercial. Unless you're working on a film, chances are if you're working on TV, it's going to be for network mm. television, yeah. uh, which means there is there are just like budgets of hundreds and thousands of dollars behind them. And everyone is fearful and panicked all of the time because they got to be on schedule because every oh, hour no, wasted, yeah. every hour wasted <laughs> means like thousands of dollars going down the tube, yeah. right? And 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 because it's TV, right? 
everything has to be just right. They need all the shots and whatnot. And so there truly is like uh, a sense of um, uh -huh. expectancy and, and fear that came, comes with it. And um, you know, I I remember I was I was just starting out in my TV and film stuff, and I didn't know what to expect. You don't know until you get on set. Is the process different to get on? I mean, uh, equity so, and so on? Uh, how it works is that um, in terms of you, you go and audition, meaning that they, they put you on tape, and then literally like in the next couple of days, they confirm you for the role, and then two weeks later, you're on set kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you show up on set, and you wait, and then they say, you're on, and you get on, and you shoot, and you're, you rehearse, and you shoot, and you're done for a day. You get your own trailer, by the way. It's, it's very lovely. Wow. Um, but uh, I... I remember um, truly being overwhelmed with fear on one particular uh, show. This was the Blacklist Redemption. And I'd been cast as a co-pilot of um, Air Borealis. And the, the whole uh, premise of the show was that there is there are some terrorists on board and yeah. they attempt to blow up the plane. And so, so they put a, you know, um, an explosive device on the on the windscreen. It explodes. People get sucked out of the plane. Like the thing goes down. Like it's crazy. Um, and when I got there, there were like hundreds of people there. They were already shooting the stunt sequences. They were cabling people out of the plane. And the plane. I walked on set, and there was a full size plane in a hangar, with wrapped around with a green screen. And then I was like, oh. And the moment comes, I was like, oh, this is real. And then they grab you by the hand. It's like, let's go to the cockpit. And the cockpit. Why is everyone grabbing you by the hand? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, thinking don't, don't in do my that. producer role, should I like. Everyone's. Oh, they put it. I should grab people more. <laughs> they grab to see how sweaty your hands are. Be like, yeah. is this person scared or not? But. So, okay, so they grab me by the hand. And they brought, bring me to the cockpit because, you know, there's a sequence where we're like yelling out commands to each other, like, this yeah. air pressure is going up, PSI, what, what, what. And then we get there, and there's a cockpit, and we sit, me and my co-pilot, we, we sit in the cockpit, and it's squeezy, it's tight, and they're like, oh, by the way, this is so-and-so, he's like a, um, he's a professional pilot, he'll teach you how to fly the plane. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how much time do you have? 10 minutes. And so it's like, okay, I have this line, this line, this line, this line, plane's going down, I need to know which buttons to press or what to pull, and it's like, okay, this is what you, and so we have to figure out in like 10 minutes what what we were going to do to make it seem realistic to make it oh, seem right. realistic and know exactly like which court which where we're looking if we were controlling this what was going to go up next and then like and then we had to make sure that it was locked in stone so you know the uh script supervisor or camera didn't come back and he was like continuity continuity you know so we had oh. we had to figure that out and i and the pressure was i was the pressure was so great, I was like, I'm starting to stinky sweat. You know when you like, yeah, you get yeah. so <laughs> scared? It's not normal sweat, it's like, oh, man, I'm nervous. That was that. I was so nervous, I went up on one of my lines. Um, because, you know, it's just me and the co-pilot, and then the two main stars of the show, like, talking to us, like, hanging out on the plane. And I was like, ah, And I went, I literally went, oh, sorry. And then I heard, they, you know, I heard from the back, cut! Back to one! And just like, Visible like grumbles, grumbles, and I was like, "Oh my god, oh I'll never." It's like I will I'm never not. work again. I will never. Work. <laughs> I, I feel like everyone is like, "I will never no, work again." Story. But th that's like, that, that's same everywhere on the world. Right? If you're freelance, you're only as good as your last job. Yeah. In a sense. So yeah. there's always that 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 stress. I mean, talking about this about this process of doing theater in yeah. the U.S. and you've experienced. Of course, we understand it's a lot more competitive. The scale of production probably bigger than yes. Singapore. But what it inherently though, what is the same though? 
if you, if you compare Singapore. Inherently, what is the same is that we are all out to tell stories. We're all out to connect with people. We're all out to do good work that moves people, that engages people, that asks important questions that we should ask. Um, sometimes uh, stuff gets in the way. Sometimes money gets in the way. Sometimes star quality gets in the way. Sometimes ego gets in the way. And this is just natural. This is We're all human beings. And I think we are human beings going into the process, but we honor the human process going to, into this, this world. And it's the same everywhere else. Um, and it's exciting. So you really had a lot of rich uh, experiences for sure. Yeah. What would you say though to any Singaporean now who, or well, anyone for that matter from Asia or something who wants to go to the US and maybe try to you know break into the industry, build the kind a semblance of a career that you that you've had, maybe. What were you? What were you saying? Thank you for them? saying semblance of a career. Because <laughs> truly, it's a, it's a semblance of a career. I would say, uh, enjoy the ride. It gets better. Be nice to everyone. Acting is your art. Your career is a business. I have no problem with people trying to go and pursue stars. If you want to go and be a star, go and pursue it. That's okay. That's your journey. And if you be, if you get to be a star and you love it, more power to you. Um, just own it. Own what you're doing and own what your intentions are. Don't pretend, pretend, and then lie to yourself being like, I'm doing this, but actually I really want to do this. You're just cheating yourself. So if you actually want to go and be a star, hell yeah, go! Do it! Just do your best, and if you fail, that's okay, but you, at least you, you did what you wanted to do and you were honest with yourself. Um, so there's, I, to me, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a star. That is not my journey. And so, where do we find you on socials? If you like, you can do. You can follow me at Han Tan Gram, Hansel Tan Gram, G R A M, but it's just Han Tan Gram uh, on the Insta, um, where you'll just see me being stupid and posting silly things, and that's me. That's what we love about Insta. <laughs> Insta stupidity, love it. Thank you, Hansel, for being our guest. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to The Uncool or rate us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Freelance Creative Exchange and you can find more episodes of The Uncool or others in our series. And then you click follow. Also, share with us and celebrate the uncool moments by going to any social media platforms and using the hashtag FCEUncool. We want to hear from you and remember, it's cool to be uncool. <laughs>